0: Thank you, Pastor Tim, for inviting us to come and share with you today. It is great to be back with you. It's been a few years. Last time I think was 2015, but it uh, it is a pleasure to be here. We are Missionaries to France. My name is Ed.
1: I'm Kirsten. I'm Rebecca. I'm Jean. I'm Jonathan.
0: And if we can start that video, please.
1: If you have ever wondered what missionaries do out there, this video will give you some idea. These are clips from our term in Trois, France.
0: Let me tell you a story about Ludeac. We're doing a church plant with this bus cafe, kind of a coffee house on wheels. Has anyone here ever done coffee house evangelism? What you do is you set up a cafe in a storefront or a bus. You invite people in for a free cup of coffee, over coffee, over conversation. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, that leads to speaking about peace with God through Jesus Christ. So we're out with this bus cafe, and this witch doctor comes by. He does not like the name of Jesus at all. But there is no salvation without Jesus. Amen? Yeah. Well, eventually he leaves, but pretty soon though, he's back. Finally, he leaves again. Now you pray the truth that is all the lies in his mind, but he just wants to argue, and we're not there to argue. We're there to plan a church. We tell people about Jesus, and we invite them to our first meeting. What do you see up there on the screen? That is a forest, a forest. Did you know a forest can come from one single acorn? With all the restrictions we have in France, we plant an acorn, but we believe for a forest. Well, that evening, guess who shows up again? Mr. Witch Doctor. But this time he's running. The Holy Spirit has worked marvelously. He's kneeling in the parking lot. Begging God to forgive him of his sins, asking Jesus to become his Lord for the rest of his life. Amen. Yeah, he seems like a problem, but God's plan is bigger. The people who heard him arguing with us are certainly going to notice when he starts playing to them with the same Jesus he refused to even name before. God's plan is bigger. God's plan is better. And sometimes God's plan is hard to see, but God wanted everyone to know that everyone. Can be saved. So just do what He's given you to do and keep doing it. You'll see His glory. God is transforming lives in France. Churches are growing, but believers face many challenges as they walk in faith.
1: On the mission field, kids can do ministry. At 10, I could be a leader. So I was. But Kids Church was in the pastor's office. One couch and 12 kids, stacked three high. Soon, <laughs> There were 20 kids, and we switched them with the preschoolers into a 10 by 12 room with no chairs. But we got these little stools, and we soon had over 30 kids in that 10 by 12 room. Then, another church let us use their sanctuary for kids' church. Suddenly, we had two chairs for each kid. Soon, we had 48 kids. The church brought an old grocery store and got sent a team of people from Moline, Illinois, and they built six classrooms. Children got saved and got baptized. Before, only one kid had a Bible. Now, nearly every kid is carrying a Bible around. Before, the children didn't know that Jesus is alive, but, Sorry, but they learned dozens of memory verses, and they loved it. We went from three kids' workers, Rebecca, my mom, and I, to a team who learned how to work, get, work together and reach someone for Jesus. It looked ridiculous 12 kids on a couch. But God is with us, and He is with you now. And just see your 12 kids on a couch into six classrooms of kids with 14 teachers, He will amaze you. Sometimes the miracles come fast, and sometimes they're slow. I don't know why, but we saw those kids chasing God with us. We saw them get saved and baptized, walking with Jesus, and loving it. God's plan is bigger, God's plan is better, and sometimes God's plan is hard to see. I don't know why some prayers get an immediate yes and others take years, but I know God is with us, and I know He is the God of whom nothing is impossible. If you want something that will last a season, plant a seed. If you want something that will last a lifetime, plant a tree. If you want something that will last for eternity,
0: plant a church. <clears throat> I want to ask you this morning if you would commit to praying for us, send up prayers that God's will be done in France as it is in heaven. Back on the table in the entryway, we have some of our bookmarks. I ask you to pick one of these up. Stick it in your Bible, put it on your refrigerator, whichever you open most often. Whenever you see it, remember to pray for us and for the people of France.
1: Would you please commit to sending us so that we'll have the resources we need to live and work in France? We have seen wonders in France. Changed lives, changed families, changed churches. But that happened because people in churches made a commitment by faith to give up their finances every month. They sent, we went, and God poured out His Spirit. When we work together, when we have unity, God commands a blessing. And he commanded great blessings in France. But we can't go unless we're sent, unless people partner with us.
0: We also need you to go with us. You know, the need is so great in France. Everyone in this room came to work with us. We'd still need more workers. We need pastors. We need church planners. People just learn the language and love the people with the love God has poured out on us. People who are freely received and who freely give. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about come to join us in this work. Please come talk to us after the service. We'd love to meet you. You can sign up for our email newsletter out on the table or online on our website at sendthefire.org. God bless you. Well, today we have uh, the honor of introducing uh, some of you have met him already.
2: Uh, Pastor Steve, would you come at this time? Let's give him a hand as he comes.
0: For those who
2: may not be aware, Steve is a consultant, a ministry consultant that the church board has brought in uh, to help handle some issues of relationship, and we appreciate him here today to share his heart. Thank you, Pastor Tim, and thank you for the Buck family sharing all the good things about missions. You know, we supported them for a lot of years at Fox Valley Christian Fellowship where I... Pastored for, I planted in 90, 1997, pastored for 22 plus years and then transitioned out to help churches and pastors and leaders be healthy and growing. I also had the privilege, if you will, of teaching our managing church conflict uh, in our district school of ministry. And So the opportunity i asked to come and, and minister here, I'm glad for the opportunity I had a couple of weeks ago to meet with a number of you. Uh, just to share about what God's laying on your heart, about what's going on, and how God can help. And so this morning, in a Reader's Digest version, sharing a message called Grow Closer Through Conflict. Now, said so say, on Pentecost Sunday, Grow Closer Through Conflict. Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit comes not just to help you have boldness to share the good news, but to be the good news. And to be the good news, sometimes it means when there's issues in our life, we have to be able to overcome them so the world can see, yes, there's hope in relationships and God is in the business of reconciliation and restoration. Did you know that? I'm glad for that. For those that are being baptized today, it's a a sign of that. It's a testimony of God's power of how he restores people in the relationship that he intended for us to have. But it's not just about a ministry of reconciliation for salvation, but also in the... In the body of Christ. And so, uh, just a word to those in the booth today, I might move a lot quicker, so I'm not going to share everything I have on my notes. Uh, if you want to know more, you can see me afterwards. But here's the crux of it all To do together better, I must handle conflict healthier. Say it with me To do together better, I must handle conflict healthier. You see, one of the things that changes when we become a follower of Jesus is we learn how to respond to conflict in our life in a better manner. Paul said in Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 3, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He says, Make every effort. Why is that so important? Not only is that because it's our nature, who we are in Christ, but because the unity of the Spirit has a direct correlation to the light that shines into our community. The salt and light that we are is really connected into the relationship that we have with each other. So we make every effort to keep in unity of the spirit in our relationship with God, not only receiving peace with God through salvation, but an ongoing peace of God in our lives, but also in our relationship with others. You see, we cannot separate our relationship with God and our relationship with others. 1 John 4 says, verses 19 to 21, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So I want to share with you, I'm in an acronym person, so I'm going to share with you four foundational principles how to grow in your relationship and how to deal with conflict and resolving conflict in our, in our own personal lives, our marriages, our families, and the church. The first is this. When conflict happens, the first thing you do is you look up and glorify God. You look up with the desire for God to work in your life and to handle things his way and not in the way that the flesh normally would be. You see, it's not the natural way. Most of us have not been taught how to handle conflict correctly. It's been modeled to us a different way, and it becomes ingrained, and we have this default way of doing it. And the first thing we do is, we, we don't look up. We look at that person, and we either try to get back, or we try to get even, or whatever we do. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And that's what happens when the Holy Spirit fills us with His Spirit. It's all about glorifying God. And that means when conflict happens in your life, the first question you do is you look up, is you say, Lord, how can I please and honor you in this situation? When you begin to look up in prayer, the Holy Spirit begins to help you see conflict in a different way. You begin to see conflict, first of all, is spiritual. It is a spiritual collision between the flesh and the spirit. You see, we're most often, we're more aware of how filled we are with the spirit, but not how we act, but how we react. How many of us realize when someone cuts you off in traffic, the first thing you say is, bless them, Lord. Give them a great day. They must be in a hurry. It must be important. No, we're like, what in the world are you doing? Anybody need to be repent of that? Anybody talk to other people when you're driving other cars? You see, we have a tendency to react. But we need to be proactive, and we need to realize that conflict is spiritual. There is a, there is a principle that you can grow closer through shared conflict. When you realize that the, our battle is not against flesh and blood. And in the church, the enemy knows that the way to do it is push buttons for people to respond because he wants to create disunity because he knows a house divided will not stand. And if the house divided, the church is divided does not stand, the community is still belongs to him and the testimony of the church is deteriorated. So we look up because we realize that conflict is spiritual, we also when we look up, we realize that conflict is inevitable. When you get married, I tell people you know when you get married it's two becoming one and you 're not the one <laughs> really, remember those times i there's a quick story I grew up as, I grew up in a home where we had where a meal was meat, potatoes, a salad, and a nice dessert. How many of those days? So we got married, and my wife makes tacos for. Supper, And I said, that's not a meal. Guess what? That didn't work out so good. (laughs) Guess what? I love tacos today. We've been married 41 years. But you see how conflict is inevitable because we have this nature that's all about self. And marriage doesn't work with selfishness. Relationships don't work with selfishness. It's inevitable in our lives. But also it is necessary because... It's through our trials that we learn where we're at. The tests that we have in our life, we realize what is the chaff, what is the dross that the Holy Spirit is working on in our lives. It's necessary. In fact, Paul said, I mean, James said this in James chapter 1, "Consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not liking anything. The goal that God has for us is to become like Jesus, and it's through trials that we grow. And therefore, they're necessary, even though we don't like them and we don't choose them a lot of times. We don't have to choose them. They just kind of happen in our life because that's a part of where the world is. And so they're necessary to reveal where we're at in our journey, to reveal what God is working on in our life, and so that we become mature and complete, becoming like Jesus. But then finally, when you look up and see God and glorify him, you see conflict as an opportunity. Ken Sandy, who wrote the Peacemaker book, said, "...the Bible teaches that we should see conflict neither as an inconvenience nor as an occasion to force our will on others." But rather is an opportunity to demonstrate the love and power of God in our lives. It is an opportunity. Say it with me. Conflict is an opportunity. Conflict is an opportunity. Say it with a smile on your face. <laughs> it's not how we're brought up. It's not how we are because we're protecting ourselves. And yet, we want God to be glorified in all that we are, And guess what happens? Conflict, when it happens, is an opportunity to trust God, even when we don't understand. It's an opportunity to obey him in the middle of it to show who we really trust and believe in. An opportunity to be like Jesus in a world who desperately needs to see Jesus. It's an opportunity to serve the person you're in conflict with. Yeah. Boy, have you ever thought of that? That's what Jesus did. It's an opportunity and a necessity in order for, to strengthen relationships. It was important for my wife and I to have that conversation about tacos. Because it helped us do other things. Because guess what? We're still in the process of becoming one. And here's one of my favorite statements. You know, when you look around, you can get bitter. Right? When you look up, you will get better. So when you get, the first thing you do, when conflict happens is you look up. Say, God, I want to please you. The second thing is this. You look within, and you resolve to grow. You say, God, I want you to accomplish. That's why we can consider it pure joy when we count. It's not about being happy about trials. It's pure joy because God is working in me to make me into the image of Jesus, which is the abundant life that he promises us. And so, Ken Sandy again says, as you worry less, this is an aha moment for me years ago, but as you worry less about going through conflict, sometimes we just want to get through it, and focus more on growing in conflict, you want to enhance the process and experience the incomparable blessing of being conformed to the likeness of Christ. And here's the thing. Unlike, unlike the world who says, you know, you have, to, you have to take offense when someone offends you. You can take a step back to examine your part in the conflict, your current feelings, and the temptations to react Examine yourself. Ask yourself these questions. What's happening in me? Why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? Do I have a major emotion over a minor offense? What thoughts are connected to these emotions? Are these thoughts based on truth? Will I choose to take offense or will I let it go? Will I choose to keep this relationship in status quo? Or will I determine to work through this problem areas? Will I choose to hold on to my resentment? Or will I choose to face that resentment and find freedom from it? Will I choose to hurt the other person when he or she hurts me, or will I choose to look beyond the hurt to the deeper problem, possibly one in myself? Will I choose to run when a relationship gets sticky, or will I choose to honor the relationship by facing the problem? One of the things I shared with people that came and talked to me a couple weeks ago, as I said, Romans 8.14 says that those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. And so one of the identifying marks of our true faith in Christ is am I being led by the Spirit in what I do and say? Not react, but being led by the Spirit. So I challenge people to stay the course and see what God's going to do. And I really believe God is doing something special today. As we rejoice with those who are being baptized in water, making a confession of their faith is an opportunity to see powerful things happen in other ways. And then when you look within, the Holy Spirit reveals to you your issues what you're responsible for, you're accountable for. If someone wrongs you this much, it doesn't give you the right to wrong them this much. You're accountable for this much. Because it affects your relationship with God. Unforgiveness is first unforgiveness toward God. Sin against God. So we, we, we respond to that. So when, when, when a conflict comes your way and you're in the middle of it, the first thing you do is you look up to glorify God. The second thing you do as you look within, let the Holy Spirit reveal to what's going on in your life and resolve to grow within it. The third thing is then to obediently respond to your offender, to look out, to be aware, to be able to go forth. Now, now the emotion has subsided because you see God doing using that in a positive way in your life. Now the opportunity to work on the relationship to say, how can we, how can we work through this? How can we restore this? We glorify God when we, we obey God by handling conflict correctly, including our response to the one who offended us. The first thing is to forgive the offender. Guess what? You don't have to forgive someone even if they don't ask you. The people forget about forgiveness is not about as much about the other person as it is about you. One of my favorite statements is that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. So you forgive the offender. Our standard, by the way, of forgiving is G- how Jesus has forgiven you. And here's, and here's a, a profound statement. You can't give what you haven't received. That make sense? And, here, and think about this. If you're not able to forgive, have you received? Your ability to forgive and the amount, to the extent you can forgive is really connected to how much you've received forgiveness from God. It really becomes a vertical issue. Because it's a powerful thing. Forgiveness is about setting, setting you free. And what happens is it doesn't negate the wrongness, the, the offense or whatever had happened. What it does is that you choose to bear it like Jesus buried our sins on the cross. You, chose, you choose to bear it. And then you put them on, take them off of your hook and put them on God's hook so he can work in their life. And here's the other thing. Forgiveness isn't like a one-time deal. It's not like the husband who told his wife when he got married, you know, when I got married I told you you I love you and that if I change my mind I'll let you know. It's not that. Forgiveness is an act. But then there's a process. A process because there's emotions involved. There's hurt involved. There needs to be healing involved. So it's a redeveloping of trust. So there's an act which we need to go through. And, it, and by the way, it's not a, you never forgive when you feel like it, because guess what? The flesh never feels like it. You do it because God says to do it. And when you do it, it opens the door for the Holy Spirit to come in and help you to heal and to really forgive to the point when you see that person who wronged you, there is no darkness, there is no tightness. There is a sense of choosing not to recall. So, forgiveness. How do you know when you're forgiven? The four promises of forgiveness. I will not dwell on the incident. I will not bring up the incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about the incident. And I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our relationship. You've heard it many times in marriages. When when things get going and the heated argument, all of a sudden things from the past get thrown back up. That means forgiveness hasn't totally reached its course. The other thing is, not you forgive, but there's the other thing we can do is overlook minor offenses. We don't have to take offense. Did you know the world says you do? We don't have to take offense. Did you know that? Isn't that freeing to know I don't have to take offense? I can let it go, especially if it's a small thing. They don't they don't know they offended you. It's not dishonoring God. It's not significant. But if it is, then it's time to go talk to them to say this is what happened. Besides talking to somebody else who then talks to somebody else, and you know the telephone thing goes, it becomes something way bigger than ever it was, and then you resolve the relationship with the person, and those people still think you have an issue. So you go to them, as Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, you go show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter it may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he re- refuses to listen even to the church, trust him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. There is spiritual, there is such a tremendous freedom when you forgive. And there's a tremendous bondage when you don't. So, it's about you. And guess what? To the extent you don't forgive someone, they still control you. And who's the last person you want to control you? The one who's offended you. You see how the enemy works? So, freely we receive, freely give. So, what do you do when conflict happens? You look up to glorify God, you look within to resolve to grow. You look out to obediently respond to the offender. And fourthly, you you look beyond and want restoration. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. You see the transition there of with the with the fruit of the spirit and the relational thing, and then the restoration which binds all together in perfect unity. Aren't you glad that God is, is in the restoration reconciliation business? Is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is a forgiver of wrongs and a reconciler and restorer of relationships. He forgives and pursues restoration with each of us. Even though we've experienced the greatest forgiveness in the world, we often fail to show that to others. Have you ever said this? Well, I forgive her, but I don't want anything to do with her. Let me ask you this. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, you know, Dad... They came and asked for forgiveness. I forgive them, but I really don't want anything to do with them anymore. Is that what Jesus says? How many times do you forgive? Seven times 70. We would count. We even figured that seven times 70. We even count the 490. But it's beyond that. Now I realize if something keeps happening and keeps happening, that has to be dealt with and needs to be working on relationship and working on situations So restoration involves reestablishing trust. Because in a relationship, trust is a must. It's like an emotional bank account. When you deposit, and every relationship has an emotional bank account, you you deposit into each life what what is trustworthy, what is something that speaks to their love language, which is something that reveals your trust that they need from you to show that you're there. But what happens when you... when you withdraw more than you have in the, in the account, what happens? It becomes bankrupt, and now you have to walk through steps of forgiveness, which reopens the account, but, but here's, the, here's the most important thing to realize, that forgiveness is to be given freely, but trust is earned incrementally. So often when I deal with marriages and things like that, people would, would go walk through the steps of forgiveness, and then the guy just wants to send flowers and candy and do all kinds of stuff. You can't do it. You only do one thing at a time. And it's so hard to reestablish. And the verse that just challenges me to a hill in 1 Corinthians 13 where it says, Love always trusts. Now what does that mean? Because you can't trust somebody that's not trustworthy. It means love always is willing to trust again. It's kind of like Charlie Brown and Lucia during football season. You know, with the football... I, The you know, sad part, but it's not the best illustration because I haven't seen him kick the ball yet. But you remember, he puts it down. You can trust me, Charlie Brown. I'm going to hold it. You can kick it. And he comes in. But it's, he, Charlie Brown is always willing to trust. Are you willing to trust again? Forgiveness is a no-brainer. Trust is a choice. So today... To do together better, I must handle conflict healthier. Say it again with me. To do together better, I must handle conflict healthier. Now, we really want to say to do together better, you must handle conflict better, but I'm saying you're responsible. Where are you responsible? Because you can only control you. How many know we don't have tomorrow? That's what God's saying today, and here's today's four-way commitment. Four steps, action steps. Today, I commit to glorify God during conflict. Today, I resolve and commit to grow personally while going through conflict. Today, I commit to obey God in dealing with the offender. And today, I commit to want and work toward restoration. You see, that's the spirit of God, that the life of God.